It's good to be here together with you today. Uh, Before we dive in, I'd just like to remind you that if you're here with us in the building or online today, it's the fourth Sunday, and so we are supporting our global ministry efforts around the world uh, on this uh, particular Sunday. We have a global partner lined up to be here with us either next week or in a few weeks. We're looking forward to hearing uh, from one of our global partners very soon, but there were none that were able to be with us today, and that's why we don't have them Uh, with us this morning. So just a reminder, it's a Global Ministry Sunday. Also, in your weekly, we have these wonderful white sheets, and uh, whether you're home or whether you're here, you can fill these out for us. They really help us uh, build community, and they also help to uh, show the many opportunities that are available uh, for ministry. And so on the back of the sheet this week, there's a number of opportunities to get involved here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. We would love for you to take a moment and just fill that out. Let us know you're here. Let us know how you'd like to get plugged in uh, as you worship here in community with us. We are continuing to memorize scripture together as a community each month. Each month we have a new memory verse that we commit to uh, storing in our hearts. And so for this month, it's Psalm 16, verse 8. Let's say it together this morning. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 16, Eight. Very good. Such good, relevant, truthful, needed words uh, for today in the world that we live in. Well, I want to welcome back our students and our student ministry leaders. And I just want to uh, praise the Lord for the work that he did through that group this past week. It sounded like a wonderful week of ministry. And so I applaud our leaders and our students. Um, And, and I apologize to the parents that asked us to lose their child for a few weeks down in Nashville. Sorry, they all made it back safely. So uh, they're all back and, and excited and hopefully excited to be here this morning as well. We begin a new series today, community, uh, that we are titling Seven Habits of a Healthy Christian Community. And uh, these habits are actually habits that are taken right off of the ministry trellis that we use here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. And so you've probably seen this trellis before. Hopefully uh, you've seen it before. But if this is the first time, well, uh, you get to see it now. And on this trellis are the seven uh, priorities or patterns of ministry that we really uh, prioritize here in our community at Calvary Monument Bible Church. So we're going to be taking one of those priorities each week over the next seven weeks and breaking them down. And we're starting this week uh, with the priority of worship. And it's very interesting. Uh, Today's uh, sermon title, 24-7, worshiping 24-7. And we didn't try this, but it just so happens to be 724. So I don't know how that that all happened. Uh, We'll give the Lord credit for that one. But as we go through this series together, there's a few considerations that I'd like us to keep in mind. First, uh, these habits, they are uh, a guide and our focus for our ministries at CNBC. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's an important list. It's a list uh, of patterns and postures that Jesus embraced while he was here on earth. But it's also a list of patterns and postures, as you'll see in number three there, that were practiced by the early church and her leaders. 
And each of these habits is healthy for every Christian community throughout the world. And each of the seven habits that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next few weeks together are practiced and applied a bit differently within the specific ministry context that take place throughout the world. And so today we begin by looking at worshiping 24-7. And we're going to explore some questions together and ask some questions uh, together. But before we do, uh, just a thought. Anybody know where that is? Where, where that picture is taken from? Anybody know? It's Wells Fargo Center, the Spectrum. Some of you, yeah, remember years back. Uh, of course, in the Lenhart home, we have a lot of uh, Philadelphia fans. And so a few years back, I took the kids down to a Sixers game. Now, I want you to think, some of you in here that enjoy sports, enjoy uh, maybe different competitions, maybe you're NASCAR fans, whatever it might be, uh, we all have our folks that we cheer for, our teams that we cheer for. Imagine if we were only a fan in the arena. In other words, I wasn't a fan I'm not a Sixers fan. You wouldn't know I'm a Sixers fan anywhere outside the arena. The only place you would ever know that I was a Sixers fan was in the arena because I cheer for them in the arena. I root them on in the arena. I wear their, uh, a shirt with their logo on it in the arena. But outside, I never talk about them, never think about them. I don't really wear the shirt or anything. Or there's a picture of the crew right there. Imagine, I had the opportunity yesterday to have breakfast with my daughter. Imagine if, if my daughter and, and I, while we're out for breakfast, imagine yesterday if I would have said, you know, Bailey, I love being your dad. But you know, I'm bringing you out to breakfast this morning to tell you that from here on out, I am only going to be your dad in the house. That's it. Nowhere else. Anytime we go outside the house, I'm just... A strange man that you're hanging out with. Well, that actually might be true anyway. On either case. But uh, no, you, you'd say, well, that's ridiculous. Or what if I said, you know, Bailey, as, as well as, as long as everything is going great, I'm happy to be your dad. But as soon as there's any trouble, as soon as there's any trial, as soon as there's anything going on that, that I don't like and don't feel good about, as soon as things start to look like this, I'm not going to be your dad, <laughs> right? No, we don't, we don't quite do that either. And imagine, and by the way, it feels a lot more like that than it does like that, just so you know. That's the picture that you probably think is what the Lenhart home looks like. This is the picture that's actually accurate of what the Lenhart home looks like most of the time, just so you know. But you know, if we wouldn't do that as fans of a sports team, if we wouldn't do that with our families in our own homes, well, then we also don't want to have that posture uh, in our faith communities and in our buildings where we only see ourselves as worshipers when we're in a building. Our worship moves beyond, far beyond the walls of a church building. And so uh, today we're in John chapter 4, and we really want to explore two questions together today. First, how does Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman demonstrate and exemplify worship? I'm always amazed at how Jesus moved, walked, and, and lived in the world, always worshiping the Father. And the thought occurred to me this week in my study that Jesus 
was the only perfect worshiper of God. The only one. And, and in that position, in that posture, we have so much that we can learn from him as a worshiper. And then second, how might we be challenged, looking at Jesus' example and looking at a text from the early church, how might we be challenged to practice worship as a 24-7, every-moment habit, rather than an occasional and only in a church building experience? And so those are the questions we want to unpack together as a faith community this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, you want to turn there, and before we dive in, Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. It's powerful. Your spirit uses it and is using it even now as we begin our time together. And so, Lord, I I just pray that you would strengthen our hearts and our minds. Prepare us, focus us, uh, help us to be ready for what you intend to teach us today. Lord, I was reminded uh, this week, throughout the week, in many different places and in many different ways, that living with the posture of a 24-7 worshiper is much harder to do than it is to say. Uh, Lord, there are so many places in my own life where I fall short of being able to do this consistently. I need your help. We all need your help, Father, that, that we can live in our communities, that we can live and, and move and have our being in the places that you've placed us in a way that is always bringing you glory and honoring your son, honoring uh, your name. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to learn from the example of Jesus in the text today. Help us to apply it in our lives and to live ready to, for the many opportunities that you bring into our lives. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We begin in verse 4 of John chapter 4. And Jesus is traveling. John 4 verse 4. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now Jesus is very intentional at the beginning of this narrative in seeing this everyday common situation, an opportunity at the well for an opportunity to worship God by loving and meeting the needs of someone who was very different than he was. And make no doubt about it, there probably in that time, in that specific culture, could be two no more different kinds of people. At the first level, Jesus is a man. He's a Jewish man, and this is a Samaritan woman. And so let's just look at the difference of a man and a woman in that culture. And the Pharisees, they would have been infuriated. The religious leaders would have been highly concerned with someone who would have been called a rabbi. That he would be conversing with a common Samaritan woman at a well. In fact, in those days, the religious leaders would have viewed the Samaritan women as perpetually unclean. That's how they talked about them. 
And it is because of these realities that most Jewish rabbis would rather have gone thirsty than to take water from a Samaritan woman at a well. And we can see the evidence of this divide, perhaps in verse 9, in this very curt response, maybe even subtly sarcastic response that Jesus gives, that that the woman gives to Jesus. So look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. And here in her response, there's this other difference that's highlighted between her and Jesus, and namely that she is a Samaritan and he is a Jew. So it's it's not just two people of a different gender. It's not just two people uh, with uh, different backgrounds religiously. It's two people with different cultural and ethnic backgrounds as well. Who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans were descended of two groups. First, there was a remnant of Israelites who were not taken away into captivity by the Assyrians, but rather allowed to remain in Israel after the fall of the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. And second, a group of conquered Babylonian and Median foreigners who were brought in by the Assyrians to help repopulate the northern kingdom with people who would be loyal to Assyrian rule. And so you have in the Samaritans a group of people that were not entirely Jewish. They were considered mixed. Samaritans, they refused to worship in Jerusalem. They wouldn't worship there. Not only that, but they wouldn't look at the temple or the synagogue as the proper place or location for worship. Rather, they looked at a place called Mount Gerizim as the only right and true location for worship. And to make matters worse, listen to what happened. This is right before Jesus came. Samaritans allied with the Syrians in the second century to fight against the Jews. And so then in 128 BC, 128 years before Jesus came, the Jews retaliated against the Samaritans by burning down the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim. This is very literally an us versus them situation. Two groups of people that do not get along. They're very, very different. And they do not like one another very much at all. The battle lines have been drawn. The separation and the difference was clear. The hatred and the dislike ran so deep among the Jewish religious leaders that they would actually pray that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. That's what the Pharisees would pray, that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. And the Pharisees, not only that, they would have been infuriated that a rabbi would allow his disciples to buy food from Samaritans as Jesus' disciples were doing in this scene. And if you remember, in the life of Jesus, one of the insults that was used against Jesus, perhaps because the Pharisees were made aware of this very moment, of this very interaction, was that Jesus was 
a Samaritan. If you remember in John chapter 8, they accused Jesus of being a Samaritan. Friends, for a Christian community to have a posture of 24-7 worship, we will often have to find ourselves looking past the issues that divide. Those issues that are common in our culture, in our world today, that are very divisive, that divide people, we're often going to have to find ourselves looking past those issues into the hearts of the people who were truly lifted or broken by the issues. And you know what occurred to me is these moments, they don't always take place in the spectacular. Rather, look at this interaction. This is a common, regular, day-to-day interaction of two people at a well. Often, these opportunities are found in the common and mundane events that make up our everyday lives. But another observation that we might make about this account is that Jesus' thirst and his fatigue are not hindrances to this moment of worship. Rather, his weakness becomes the very opportunity that God will use to transform not only the life of this woman, but you remember, all the way to the end of the narrative, many in her community come to know the Lord as well. If you look back in verse 5, 6, and 7, the text tells us Jesus is wearied. He's thirsty. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. And friends, sometimes... When things are difficult and we are tired, weak, thirsty, uncomfortable, it's hard for us to worship. Anyone find it easy to worship when you're tired, hungry, anxious, scared? Things are hard and uncomfortable. Yet those are sometimes the very best opportunities. Sometimes... Unfortunately, I myself am guilty of this. We, we use terms that kind of sound spiritual. Like, you know, I, I just think God's closing the door for me there. Right? It's a little uncomfortable. Things are hot, heated maybe. We don't like the way something feels. Maybe the Lord's closing the door. We give ourselves a way out, a charitable way out. Anyone ever have a day like this? A hard, rough day. And at the end of the day, you sit down and you think, oh man, I blew it. I was not very worshipful today. In that moment, in the next moment, or any other moment. And not only is Jesus tired, not only is he thirsty, not only is it hot, but as this narrative unfolds and the text continues, we actually find that the Samaritan woman is looking For a debate. Now I know about you, but it's time for me to find another well. (laughs) This is where I'm always amazed by Jesus. His patience. His kindness. His gentleness. His readiness to always honor the Father. In every moment. In every situation. Even when it's not comfortable. Look at verse 10. Jesus answers her. If you had known the gift of God. And who it is who said to you give me some water to drink. 
you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with all of his sons and his livestock. Now, now Jesus knows this is the beauty of this is when you read this in the context of the gospel of John. How beautiful, right? The end of John chapter two, Jesus knows what's in man perfectly. Do you remember that? And then John chapter three opens up and he's talking to Nicodemus who's a Jewish religious leader. And now he's showing us in John 4 as he talks to a Samaritan woman. He truly does know what's in all people. He knows. He knows what's lurking behind this defensive response from the Samaritan woman. He knows that there's pain, that there's dissatisfaction with her own life. And as we're soon going to see revealed in the text, she is living under rather inauspicious circumstances. As you move into verses 13 to 18 of the narrative, we find that Jesus is going to place abundant hope in the middle of both common and specific needs. I love what he does here. He begins in verse 13 with the common need. What does he say? He says, if anyone comes and draws water from this particular well, they will thirst again and need to return to draw again. But then in verse 14, he offers abundant hope. Friends, I'm reminded that worship in our daily encounters might look like helping others recognize their great need For the living water Jesus provides in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, such as on this occasion, this is a first time recognition. One that leads to salvation. And how marvelous. We had the opportunity last week, just in our faith community here at Calvary Monument Bible Church, to celebrate a couple coming to know the Lord. For the first time. An older couple in their 80s. Coming to know the Lord. No one is ever too far removed. So sometimes it's a first time experience that leads to salvation. Other times it's simply reminding and encouraging those who already believe. As we gather on Sunday mornings together as a faith community. That we already have everything we need living within us. In what God has provided in the living water of the Holy Spirit. To get through each encounter And each day he's called us to look at verse 14. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And when the woman demonstrates a desire to receive this water, Jesus is going to not stop just with the common physical need that everyone has, but he's going to move beyond everyone's physical need to reveal her deeper emotional pains and her deeper emotional needs. Friends, if Jesus is Lord of our entire lives, then that means he's more than sufficient to meet our spiritual needs our physical, our intellectual, our relational 
and our emotional needs. He is Lord of all and He deserves to be worshipped as Lord of all over every area of our lives. Not only would a physical well leave all who drew from it needing more, but the relational and emotional wells of security and belonging were leaving this Samaritan woman tired and thirsty. Here is a woman, as we find in the text, who had had five husbands and is now living with a sixth man who was not her husband. And for this woman who was looking for love and looking for belonging in all these other places, there was and there is an eternal and abundant hope that could fully satisfy. And in what almost feels like a jolt, the conversation gets redirected. And you have to wonder in this instant, is, is she uncomfortable? Did you ever have someone that could look at you and speak to you in a way that went right to your heart? And as they were speaking, you were asking yourself the question, how did how do they know? They might not even know. The night I came to salvation, the man that was on stage speaking, that was presenting the word of God that evening, there was probably 600 people present in the room. But for whatever reason, I can't explain why, friends, that night he was only speaking to me. Everything he said, every word directly hitting my heart, convicting my mind. This is the power of Jesus in this encounter with this woman. And I have to believe that she's a bit uncomfortable. She's a bit unsettled. So she's moving to a common debate. She's redirecting the conversation to something that would have been commonly discussed when a Jew and a Samaritan got together at a well. Recognizing she's in the presence of a very gifted Jewish man, one she even refers to in verse 19 as a prophet, she's now looking for an answer to an age-old debate raging between the Jews and the Samaritans. Where is the proper location for worship? Where? And in this next part of his interaction with the Samaritan woman, Jesus is going to answer. He's going to answer the who, the what, the where, the why, the when, and the hows of worship. Samaritan woman is quick to draw an us versus them line in the sand regarding the proper location of worship. But Jesus is looking to define and describe the characteristics of all God-honoring worship. Look at verse 20. Our fathers... Worshipped on this mountain. This is the woman speaking, the Samaritan woman. She's talking about Mount Gerizim, where it was believed by the Samaritans that Abraham had offered up Isaac. It was also believed that Mount Gerizim was where Abraham had met Melchizedek. And some of the most significant events in their history had occurred. So she continues. And you people, how she says that, speaking of the Jews. You people say that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Essentially, she's saying, who's right, Jesus? Who's right? Us? 
or you? Us or them? Jesus' response in verse 21, Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman. Now sometimes when we read that in the text, we think it's a little bit disrespectful because I don't know about you, but if I were to go home today and say, Hey, woman, that wouldn't end well for me. I can promise you that right now. (laughs) Would not end well at all. I do not recommend it for anybody in this room, any male. No, but, but back then, uh, woman, it was a term like we would say ma'am or madam or missus. It's the way Jesus is responding to her here. It's not a term of disrespect. It's more of a term of respect in that culture. And he says, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Hmm. 